Good morning, everyone. My name is Lydia Choi, and I am one of the pastors here. Um, today is the third Sunday of Advent, and in this Advent season, we have been studying the woman mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus right here. If you're able to read, this is a genealogy that you can see in the Gospel of Matthew. And today, we'll take a closer look at Ruth. Um, one of the five women mentioned in Matthew 1. We had Tamar. Last week, we had um, Nathan share about Rahab. Today, I'll be sharing about Ruth, Bathsheba next week, and then Christmas Eve will be Mary. So I'm going to adjust the mic. Is this better? All right, okay. (laughs) Um, And what caught me off guard is that the stories of the five women are stories of women who were really nobodies in society. They didn't have any status in society. They weren't princesses or queens that Israelites might have expected in Jesus' genealogy. It's uncommon for the five women to be mentioned by name in the genealogy. Pastor Silas, one of the pastors at um, Bethany in Northeast, brought to attention that these women are mentioned, but there are actually six kings that are omitted from Jesus' genealogy. If you have read the book of Ruth, you might think it's a cute love story. I'm the person that reads the end of the novel to make sure that it's a good, um, it's a good ending before I finish the rest of the book. So... So when I'm watching Netflix, um, I'm sorry, this mic is, okay, there we go, better? Yeah? Okay. (laughs) So when I'm watching Netflix, um, I'll start like a first episode, a second episode, and then I will make sure to watch the last episode before I finish the whole series. Because if it has a bad ending, I'm not going to waste my time watching it, especially if there is death and it's like sad. Oh, no, thank you. It has to be happily ever after. So when I watch Netflix with David, He bans me. He's like, no, don't watch the ending. If you you watch it, you're going to spoil it for me. And he he really enjoys experiencing, like, the excitement of watching a show together. So I'm not allowed to do that with him. But when I'm watching by myself, I do that. And I hope it's okay to spoil the story of Ruth for you today. Um, Yes. Well, the Bible has been around for thousands of years, so you had your chance to read it. Thank you, David. That was a joke that he told me to say. Because <laughs> I can't come out with my own jokes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I'm going to spoil it to you. I love the ending. Ruth is a great love story. But after a close study of the book, I learned that Ruth is more than a love story. Stories usually have a villain, an antagonist, or a protagonist, but in the story of Ruth, there isn't a villain. It's a story of two women experiencing hardships in life together. And some of you here might be experiencing hardship and suffering in life right now in real time. And we don't have control over it. It feels like There is nothing we can do. Book of Ruth is a beautiful story, 
But first, there is despair. Second, there's hope and waiting. And third, we see God's provision. Join me in prayer um, before we get into today's text. Let us pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for all of us here today. As we come, as we anticipate the birth of Jesus, and as we hear the story of Ruth, I pray, God, that you will speak to each one of us. And I pray, Lord, for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this room. May you fill this room. And I pray, God, that you will open our ears, open our eyes to hear and see the things that we are not able to see and hear. That only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are able to receive. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to put our finger on Ruth 1, and what we're going to do is go through the whole story. But I won't be reading all four chapters, because if I do, it would be like 15 minutes, um, and I don't think Katie and Anna would appreciate me going for an hour. So instead of doing that, um, we're going to be referencing through it throughout the message. Um, And I want to encourage you maybe um, sometime this week to take the time to read the whole book. It, It really is a beautiful story. The story begins and ends with Bethlehem and Judah. Bethlehem is a significant place in biblical times, in the biblical narrative. This is the hometown of King David, but Bethlehem is also where Jesus was born. Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. But ironically, there is a famine in Bethlehem. So a man man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, travel to Moab to look for food. And they end up settling there. But in Moab, Elimelech dies and Naomi is left with two sons. And then her two sons marry two Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. But after 10 years, Malon and Kilion, they die as well. Now, leaving a widow mother, right? And leaving two childless um, widows, Orpah and Ruth. So you can imagine the heartache and the sadness, the despair, now that these three widows felt. Naomi hears that God has blessed the people in Judah, that there is much food now, and that there was good crop. So Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. On the way to Bethlehem, Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to go back to their mother home. And this is what, Ruth, um, what Naomi says to Ruth. In Ruth chapter 1, uh, verses 8 to 10, you can follow along on the screen with me. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed 
and goodbye. And they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. In verse 8, Naomi prays that God will deal kindly with Orpah and Ruth. In Hebrew, this expression is called hesed. There isn't a direct translation of this word hesed, but it means kindness, loving, faithfulness, gracious, and loyalty. Catherine um, Sakenfeld, she explains this in her book. She says, in the Hebrew Bible, hesed refers to an action by one person on behalf of another. The action is essential to the survival or basic well-being of the recipient. The needed action is one that only the person doing the act of hesed is in a position to provide. The women are heartbroken, without hope, wept with each other. There was a strong love, hesed, between the mother-in-law and the daughters-in-law. Naomi urges again for her daughters-in-law to go back home. And Orpah eventually goes back to her hometown. But Ruth, she clings tightly to Naomi and says this in Ruth chapter 1, 16 and 17. Don't urge me to leave you and to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if even death separates you and me. Here, Ruth is making an oath, and it's not an easy oath. Ruth is well aware of the potential difficulties that might unfold. You see, Ruth is a Moabite. In Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 23, we learn that Moabites and their descendants are banned from entering the assembly of the Lord for 10 generations. Moabites were Israelites' traditional enemy. So you can imagine that Ruth is aware of the fact that she might not be accepted by the people of Judah when they go back to Bethlehem. Her ethnicity will be a barrier and a challenge for her to be included into the new community. But Ruth, she decides to take a risk. She could have gone back to her hometown and started over in life, but Ruth had said for Naomi, love, loyalty, mercy, faithfulness, goodness, graciousness, kindness, a characteristic of God. In this awful situation in life, in despair, instead of trying to fend for themselves, Ruth offers Hesed. And Naomi didn't have the energy to object anymore. She didn't have the strength. So she gives in. Naomi is tired. There is nothing left in her. The storms of life were weighing heavy on her. One thing after another. There is continual despair in her life. First, the famine. 
then moving her family to a foreign land of Moab, death of her husband, and then the death of her two sons. Now she's in a place where she is going back to her hometown empty-handed. When she left Bethlehem, she didn't have food, but at least she had her family. But this time, she didn't have either of them, food or family. When Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, their arrival is stirred, has stirred the whole town. And when the townswoman saw Naomi, they didn't recognize her. The woman asked, Is it really Naomi? The tragic circumstances of Naomi's life have taken a toll on her that she probably aged significantly. The townspeople probably also wondered, where is Elimelech and her sons? Who is that foreign woman that she is with? Ruth 1, 20-21. Naomi reacts by saying, Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. The Almighty, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I think it's safe to assume that this was Naomi's lowest point in life. Naomi is lamenting. Naomi had come back to Bethlehem empty. Empty inside and out, with so much loss and despair. The circumstances were out of her control. But we see a glimpse of hope for Naomi in this story, even at her lowest point in life, because of Hesed, God's love, loyalty, kindness, and grace. Church, know that even in our lowest point of life, there is hope. We have to believe it and cling to it. Sometimes we forget about hope because there's a little bit of waiting. Well, sometimes I understand that the waiting is a little bit longer than we like. But have faith in the hope that God gives us even when we're waiting, even when we're waiting. There was a young woman who immigrated to a foreign country, wanting a better future for her children, to raise them in a country of opportunities. But one evening, her daughter had seizures. And the seizures continued. She took her to see many doctors, um, went to doctor's appointments. This was before smartphones many years ago. So she had to take a dictionary so that she could look up the words to communicate with the doctors. The young woman watched as the little girl went through many blood tests brain scans, EEG tests, and other medical tests that the doctors were trying to figure out what the cause was of the seizures. The doctors concluded that there was no answer to the random seizures that the little girl was having. The doctors told the young mom, 
It must be stress. Maybe stress of being in a new country. Stress of learning a new language. The young mother in this story didn't say goodbye to her sisters, to her brother, and to her friends, to leave everything behind to go to a new country where she will find her little girl sick. This was not part of the plan. And I'm sure that she was full of guilt. She believed that God had led her to the new land for her family. There's nobody she could turn to but God. She would pray every moment she had, asking God, why God? Why did you bring our family here? God, heal our little girl. That little girl is actually me. I remember waking up to my mother's prayers. She would cry out to God, sometimes pounding on the ground. I would hear, come back from school, and I would hear my mom praying really loudly in our one-bedroom apartment. After the seizures, as I was falling asleep, I would hear her praying all night in tears. You see, when things seem impossible, there is nothing we can do but to hope, to have faith in the hope that God gives us. In hope, my mom waited that God would heal her little girl. It was many years later that I stopped having seizures. My mom in those years had nobody and had nothing but to cling to the hope that the world does not give but only God can give. And I know she's watching, and she's probably like, Lydia is sharing a story that I don't like to talk about. (laughs) But I want my mom to know today, though those are stories that hurt, those are stories of hope. The hope that sometimes I remember to cling on to because God was faithful. God is a faithful God. And in Ruth, too, we see a little bit of hope. We read in chapter 2 that Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem during the barley festival, the harvest. So Ruth goes out into the harvest field to pick up grain that was left behind by the harvesters. The field happened to belong to Boaz, a relative of Elimelech. When Boaz found out who Ruth was, he told her only to stay in his field. He made sure that Ruth was safe, that young men won't mistreat her. Boaz made sure that she got more than enough of grains. He knew how Ruth had left her family to be with Naomi. He saw Ruth's sacrificial love for her mother-in-law. And here, Boaz is showing Ruth his said. And God provides for the two widow through him. When Naomi hears of everything that Boaz has done for Ruth, she gets hopeful. God has not abandoned me. Naomi knows that her dead husband and the sons won't be coming back. But there is a shift in Naomi's heart. 
everyone in this room will ask one day, probably maybe several times in your lifetime. God, why does blank hurt so much? Why does this season hurt so much? In Ruth's story, we witness that God does not abandon us. God did not abandon my mom. God did not abandon me. God did not abandon you. Even in our lowest point of light, even in our despair, God, oh, is, is this working? I'm having mic problems today. God has not abandoned any of us here in this room. Catherine Sakenfeld expresses this in her book. She says, Naomi has begun a healing journey, a journey from despair to hope, a journey from a living dead to a life worth living, a life worth living. Think about that, friends, a life worth living. Here is a woman who renamed herself. God has made my life very bitter. That's why she renamed herself. Who had no hope, but is now choosing to hope. In Ruth 2.20, it says this. The Lord bless him, meaning Boaz. Naomi Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is a close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. In biblical times, Ruth and Naomi were not able to work for a living. They needed a guardian redeemer who had the right and the responsibility to redeem Naomi and purchase their land and marry Ruth. And now there was hope for Naomi and Ruth. Boaz, the guardian redeemer, was showing them his said. The story continues, and, and now it gets exciting. This is like my favorite part. So Naomi <laughs> instructs Ruth to take a bath, put on beautiful smelling perfume, and to dress in the nicest clothes that she had. And then she tells Ruth, When Boaz is sleeping on the threshing floor, uncover his feet and lie down beneath him. I know, it sounds weird, right, kids? Like the youth here is like, what is that? (laughs) Well, I guess better. So Ruth (laughs) did everything Naomi instructed. But when Boaz woke up, he was startled to find a woman lying on his feet. In Ruth 3, 9, it says, It says this, who are you? He says, he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. And then she says this, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are guardian redeemer for our family. Ruth, this is where she went a little further than Naomi has instructed, but by proposing to Boaz. And you're thinking, what? That's a proposal? Yes. This is a proposal. In the biblical times, this was known as a proposal. And guess what? This is pretty rated R type of proposal in biblical times, guys. And Boaz here 
is touched by Naomi's hasset, I mean Ruth's hasset toward Naomi. Ruth could have married someone younger. But Ruth choosing Mary to marry Boaz meant that would provide Naomi security. And now the story doesn't end here. Of course, there has to be like more climax and a hurdle, right? So it turns out that there is a man who is more closely related to Naomi than Boaz, who is also their guardian redeemer. They need to get rid of this person. (laughs) So the waiting begins. In the morning, Boaz goes out to the town gate, calls um, on the first in line guardian redeemer and the 10 elders of the town. Boaz asked the guardian redeemer if he would like to redeem Elimelech's land. And that with the land, he was very good to say, you will acquire Naomi and Ruth the Moabite. But the guardian redeemer didn't want Ruth the Moabite as his wife. Remember how the Israelites felt about Moabites? So he refused to redeem them. So Boaz This is my chance. And gladly redeemed Naomi by purchasing the property of Elimelech and acquiring Ruth the Moabite as his wife. From despair to hope to waiting. Now God showered Naomi and Ruth with provision. Boaz took Ruth as his wife. And Ruth gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. In Ruth 4, verses 14 to 17, this is how the times woman, um, townswoman responds um, to Naomi. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms, cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. The townswoman gathered together to celebrate, to give thanks to God. They knew Naomi's story of despair and suffering, and wholeheartedly they all rejoiced for her and even named their baby, named the baby Obed. In Naomi's story, the provision came in unexpected and surprising ways. In the Old Testament, there's some significant extraordinary figures like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David, and Solomon, and many more. And then you come to Ruth. Ruth isn't even an Israelite. She's a Moabite. But here she is mentioned in Matthew 1 as part of Jesus' genealogy. Matthew 1.5 reads this. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse. Now, do you know who Jesse is? Jesse 
is father of King David. So Ruth has become King David's great-great-grandmother. And well, this is Jesus' genealogy. So Ruth is also Jesus's long, right? So great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. And Dale Bruner, in his commentary on Matthew, mentions that Jesus' genealogies teaches divine mercy. Mercy extending to both racial and moral outsiders. So here is Ruth, an ordinary Moabite woman who is invited to be part of an extraordinary story. Ordinary Ruth wasn't called to take the Israelites out of Egypt. She didn't have to fight a big giant, and she didn't carry the way to save a nation. But Ruth the Moabite was a woman who reflected God's character. Has said, faithful, kindness, royal to her mother-in-law that led the townswoman to say that Ruth is better than seven sons. In life, there will be times when we also experience loss and great despair that is out of our control. And some of you might be in that season already. Your aging parents, a close friend, or your spouse is ill. You might have just lost your loved ones. There were a lot of layoffs in the tech world. You might have just lost your job. Your family might be in a financial debt. Your marriage is struggling. You have a broken relationship with your children, not knowing how to mend that. You might be lonely. You might be struggling with with depression. And the worst is when you see your loved one, your spouse or your children struggling with depression. That's hard. And sometimes the weight of life is so heavy that you want to just shut you want to just shut the world around you and just stay in bed. Church, God sees you. As I was praying for you this week, God showed me some of your faces like a slideshow. It was like, I would see your faces. I remember the stories some of you have shared with me. I remember the prayers that some of you have shared with me. I felt a tension in my shoulders as I thought of some of you this week. I remember the prayers that some of you filled out in the Connect card. There is a reason why there are pens attached to all your Connect cards today. 
I want you to take this Connect card. And if you have a prayer request, write your prayers. And there's a little box where you can check as well that gives us consent to share with the prayer team. So our staff and our prayer ministers, whom I like to call our prayer warriors, are here to pray for you, and we are praying for you. And some of you might be quietly hurting yourself without anyone knowing. We're very private here in the Pacific Northwest. We hide our current state very well. But the story of Ruth leads us to hope because of Jesus. More than 2,000 years ago, the Israelites were waiting for a king to save them from political oppression. They wanted a king to come and save Israel. But God had bigger plans. God has said his unfailing love for us had bigger plans. He wasn't going to just send Jesus to save the Israelites, but he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to come to earth as human, as one of us, to save us. Jesus came to earth as a baby. He was conceived by the uh, Holy Spirit, born of Virgin Mary. He came as the king of the world and a suffering servant. He was crucified. He died and was buried on behalf of us. And on third day, he rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of God. We see God's fingerprints all over the story of Ruth. In their despair and suffering, God gave them hope. There were times when we had, they had to wait. But in the end, God provided. Whatever you're going through right now, don't put a period to your story. Your story has not ended. Naomi, in chapter 1 of Ruth, thought her story ended. She even renamed herself Mara, blaming that God has made her life very bitter. Naomi had nothing left in her life. But Ruth thought the otherwise. She decided not to put a period on her current situation. When Naomi told her to go back home, Ruth took a risk, expressed God's said to Naomi by saying, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Ruth worshiped Naomi's God as her God. Don't put a period to your story. Your story has not ended. Your story is a continuing story of God's great big story. Cling to hope. Have faith. Because unto us, a Savior has been born. Let us pray. I want to invite you to pause. We're going to pause maybe for a minute. If you would like, I would like to um, invite you to raise your hands. We're going to have our prayer ministers come forward. 
And if you would like to receive prayer, if there is something heavy in your heart, I want to invite you to come and receive prayer from prayer ministers. So let us raise the palms of our hands. And as we pause, may we listen. Listen how God is speaking to us, how God is speaking to us today in this season. God, we come to you today. We're pretty ordinary here at Bethany North. But we're grateful to be part of your extraordinary story. And I pray, God, for your light to shine upon us today. There are some of us that are desperate for you. There are some of us that are in despair. We are hurting. I pray, Lord, that you will remind us of your faithfulness. that we will cling to your hope. The hope that the world does not give, but hope that only Jesus Christ gives to us. For unto us, a Savior has been born. A Savior has been born. What better hope is there the knowing that Jesus has come to save us. Father, it's, Christmas has become such a busy season. And a lot of us here come today with a long list of things that we need to get done before that Christmas day. But there are also some of us here 
that are very lonely. That we feel very alone. Comfort us, Jesus. May we cling to the love that you have given to us. May we cling to the faithfulness that we heard in the life of Naomi and Ruth. We are so encouraged by all the fingerprints of all the works that you have done in this world. So I pray, Jesus, that today we will not leave this room without clinging onto hope, that you will give us the faith to cling onto you. So we give you thanks. We love you, God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.